as customers start to think about you know, ways that they can bring and infuse artificial intelligence into their business, um, most of that, you know, you would think on the surface, oh gosh, that's sort of a technical challenge. You know, are we going to be able to take on these technical tools and do we have to all be data scientists to do this stuff and things like that? But really what I say to a lot of people is, look, it's really about creating a team that can rally around the different use cases and the problems, the, the, the questions you want to answer of your data, right? At the end of the day, um, what are those questions? And then what's the team look like that's going to help shape what the solution looks like and make sure that that team is diverse, make sure that that team is, is super, you know, uh, well thought out. Um, and so I think the same goes for those of those of us in the tech industry at large that are building these systems and building these, these tools and building blocks for customers and organizations and individuals to leverage. We have to make sure that, you know, our product teams and folks that are building systems are our demographics those we expect to have used these systems should be represented. And I think that, again, that sort of topic of, of unconscious bias is something we have to be very mindful of. Welcome to another episode of the Data Binge podcast. I'm your host, Derek Russell. And if it's your first time listening, the podcast is a collection of conversations with technologists varying in specialties from highly technical to highly strategic individual contributors to senior leadership team members, all with an emphasis on helping businesses create innovation and disruption that empowers their employees and customers. Digital transformation, if you have ever heard of that, then you definitely need to listen to this podcast. We cover many different items here, ranging from specific challenges businesses are inherently facing in today's hyper-competitive global economy. We hear about that every single day on the news and from different media outlets, and the solution sets coming out of technology that are most relevant for these challenges. Mostly, our conversations tend to land on AI strategy and the implications of this evolving landscape. A lot of conversations continuously talking about how this industry is changing and what new technology sets, perspectives, and cultures are being brought to the table here. Priya Gore joins us on the show today. Priya is currently a sales lead for the Americas at Microsoft for a global specialist team, the Global Black Belt Team is the name of that organization, and she's focused specifically around the domain of AI. Priya has been in tech for almost 20 years, and prior to Microsoft, she worked as a National Strategic Alliance Director with a partner organization, Blue Metal, that specialized in big data, IoT, and advanced analytics, with a focus on the Azure platform, of course. Blue Metal was Partner of the Year for Worldwide Mobile App Development in 2017, and IoT in 2016, if you haven't heard of them. Priya was a group founder of the International Association of Microsoft Channel Partners, New England Chapter for Women in Technology, and has quite a bit of really incredible things to say in the areas of diversity and inclusion as they pertain to change management, artificial intelligence strategy, and what a lot of businesses are trying to do in the digital era. So we'll cover a lot of these different areas in depth as we move forward you'll really connect with Priya. She's just a really great person and we had a lot of fun in the talk. Today, specifically, we talk deeper in some of the very core themes around how businesses should be thinking about their AI strategy versus other calls and talks I've had with practitioners on the podcast. The components that are involved in this process from stakeholders to builders, engineers, and UI architects within the system level 
all the way down to the user. So you really get granular in terms of how all these different systems and peoples uh, and components come in together. We talk about some key themes in AI, such as unconscious bias and how to mitigate risks and biases in the reasoning through this data by thinking deeper about people and team building before getting too far into the tech. We hover quite a bit around why there can't be an AI strategy without specific business challenges that it addresses and what the processes look like behind developing a scope and remediating through fast failures with fast learnings. Finally, we talk about the future of education and parenting, which I'm increasingly more passionate about as a parent myself. And we round out the conversation with real talk about us, the human species, and how to contribute to the betterment of each other. Really special episode. I really enjoyed myself and enjoyed the talk with Priya, and I think you will too. If you haven't done so already, please rate the episode on Apple Podcasts. It helps me better circulate the content so I can better serve you through great guests and great conversations. Thank you for listening. Now I bring you Priya Gore. Hey, Priya, how are you? Hey, I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you for making some time and coming on uh, the chat to talk about AI and all the things that you're passionate about. Really happy to have you on. Um, So me and you know each other because you're part of the Global Black Belt Organization, and um, I can let you get more into that. Um, And I've seen you on LinkedIn and social media, and you've kind of been around the country talking about AI, and you just have some really great ideas. Super happy to have you on. I'd love to hear about what you're doing today at Microsoft and a little introduction about yourself. Absolutely. Thanks again, Derek, for the opportunity. It's great to be here. Yeah, so um, my role here at Microsoft, I'm part of a team, as you mentioned, called the Global Black Belt Team. And this is a global organization that we have here at Microsoft. Um, Think of it as a specialist team unit across the globe. And we are then organized geographically by time zone. So for me, I am part of a team that is centered in the geography of the Americas time zone, which is defined as... um, geographically covering Canada, the United States, and Latin America. So that's sort of the geo that we span here in the Americas from a GBB perspective. And then my role specifically is a role in which I'm uh, called a sales lead for the time zone across the Americas with focus specifically on the domain of artificial intelligence. So that's my role in a nutshell. And I'm sure as we talk today, I can share more about some of the things, of course, we're doing here at Microsoft and some of the things I'm seeing you know, across the globe with respect to how customers are thinking about AI, how partners in our ecosystem are leveraging AI into their practices and helping us uh, help our clients uh, think about innovation and things like that. So really excited to be here. And thank you so much again for the invitation to join you. There's so much, and just quickly, there's so much going on right now in terms of data and how, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this a lot more further in in the talk in in terms of diversity and inclusion. And it's not very often that I can find someone, um, uh, a woman who's engaged pretty deeply in different AI workloads and being a thought evangelist in the space. And I've I've had others on the podcast that were in that space as well, but it was very hard to go and find them. Um, So you're kind of top of mind when I think about AI and I think about inclusion and things like that. So how did you get involved in all of this? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I actually um, 
taking a step back from a, just a, how the career path kind of began, um, you know, I started actually working um, in technology back in 1999, the year 2000, um, right, right along the time when things were getting really exciting from an IT perspective, of course, with uh, the Y2K you know, frenzy, if you will. And I was pretty interested. Um, it was it was fun being new to as a career uh, in, a, in a career path um, at that time. Um, and so I started there. And and as I moved into other roles within the technology realm, I found myself really interested in sort of a sales centered path. So I've always been sort of a sales specialist and, and always been very interested in, in more of the cutting edge side of technology. So that's sort of thematically, you know, where I've sort of lived and, and stayed. Most recently, prior to coming to Microsoft, I worked for um, a Microsoft partner who specialized in application development, um, IoT, advanced analytics, AI, big data type solution building, um, leveraging Microsoft's platform. So got really familiar with uh, the advanced workloads within our Azure platform. Uh, a lot of which includes, of course, our advanced analytics and AI um, capabilities there. And so that really helped, I think, as well, helped me hone my skills, helped me get to know. It's not just about certainly knowing technology and how to talk about it when you're selling. It's also about how do our customers apply it to their business, right? So I think that um, from a, from a, I want to answer another question you kind of had there, which is around sort of um, being a woman in in this in this industry for me it was it was pretty easy when I started my career um, and it's interesting there's been a number of folks I've worked for over the years that are really strong amazing women that I've looked up to and I think that that in itself um, is is really important I think when you're learning and you're you're thinking about where you want to take your career you often obviously oftentimes think about okay who am I going to work for and how am I going to grow with that person leading me? And for me, I was just very lucky, super fortunate to work for some really awesome women right from the beginning of my career that really kind of, I guess, gave me the confidence to do this. And, and we are in an industry, of course, that is uh, very male dominant uh, in terms of the, the demographics. There are far more men in this industry than there are women. But I can honestly say for the most part that I've not really ever felt like I stand out as, gosh, I'm the only woman here. My goodness. I mean, I notice it, of course, but um, I have to say I've been so thankful to say that it's been a wonderful experience. And I really hope that many other uh, young girls and women will be inspired to, to enter our field as well. We need more. We need yeah. more reputation. That, that's amazing. And I'm so glad that you had such a positive uh, experience and you had some really great mentors I was just just kind of looking for some new thought pieces to, to talk about today. And there was a, an article uh, on Fortune, I think it was. And I think last week, and you're in the East Coast area, so you probably know more about this yeah. than I do, but New York University did a study on AI specifically for diversity and inclusion, which there are some issues evolving because the people who are building the models and developing the technology don't look like the greater population. And I think it was, um, they were talking about how 80% of university professors that specify in AI are men. At Facebook, the folks in research, uh, only 15% in AI research are women. And then at Google, it's only 10%. So it's pretty scary if we're building technology that at some point will build itself if it's indexed toward a certain perspective, whether it be experience or gender or geography or whatever. 
is that something that comes up a lot? Like when you are like, do women approach you? Do girls approach you and talk about how this is like an issue? I know we're kind of going off in a tangent, but this is pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that what you're talking about, the unconscious bias that we have to be very um, aware of and, and conscious of, uh, frankly, is is a really important topic. I appreciate you bringing that up right away in the, in the segment here. You know, I think that um, what, what I take, I talk to clients about this a lot too, because as customers start to think about, you know, ways that they can bring and infuse artificial intelligence into their business, um, most of that, you know, you would think on the surface, oh gosh, that's sort of a technical challenge. You know, are we going to be able to take on these technical tools and do we have to all be data scientists to do this stuff and things like that? But really what I say to a lot of people is, look, it's really about creating a team that can rally around the different use cases and the problems, the, the, the questions you want to answer of your data, right? At the end of the day, um, what are those questions? And then what's the team look like that's going to help shape what the solution looks like and make sure that that team is diverse, make sure that that team is, is super, you know, uh, well thought out. Um, and so I think the same goes for those of those of us in the tech industry at large that are building these systems and building these, these tools and building blocks for customers and organizations and individuals to leverage. We have to make sure that, you know, our product teams and folks that are building systems are our demographics those we expect to have used these systems should be represented and i think that again that sort of topic of of unconscious bias is something we have to be very mindful of um, and train people that are that are building these systems um, as you said you know the the demographics are are what they are there are more men than women um, in the industry doing this they even though they may not be women or they may not be you know minority or they may not have you know, other sort of needs or, or, or perspectives, I should say, we need to make sure that folks are really broadening their thinking and, and building these solutions with that in mind. That, that was such a great response in terms of, I've never thought about the systems, how like when you think about it from a system level, it's so easy just to think about, hey, we need more diversity in terms of the people that are building the models and the data scientists and the super techie geeky. And maybe that's part of the issue because if I believe that you need these PhD level kind of people and folks that look like myself or you or others don't have that in their journey map, they ha- maybe they want to become a UI uh, pr- yeah. practitioner or they want to become a sales specialist. They want to build strategies, but we need those folks too. And if we evangelize the fact that those systems need people like that and those kind of people look like the broader population... Yeah, yeah, making sure we we avoid that um, unconscious bias. And also, you know, I think too, again, just relating it to an example with our customers, you know, which I do a lot of work with every day in that world. Um, you know, what's interesting is that the people who build the systems, that's one angle. But then once the building blocks and the foundational tools are there, um, then it becomes what is the representation of the business use case or the problem? The most important people at that point in driving out what it is we're going to to use that technology and how we apply it to solve something, um, that becomes really critical that that group of people also be very diverse because you want to make sure you have really strong representation from not only the IT groups and those that are technical, as I said before, but you need that, that strong representation from the business And when you do that too, like those that are in the business, when you're building the system that are going to use it are going to likely be both men and women and are likely going to be, you know, beyond the gender piece of it, um, 
there'll be diversity, you know, sort of layers that we need to understand. What are the demographics of those that are going to use these systems? And how do we make sure as we build it, we are representing them? There's a there's sort of a mirror effect of, okay, whoever it is that's building these, these systems out and, and sort of designing what they're going to look like and how they're going to, to serve, um, we need to make sure that that demographic of those users that we're targeting those systems for are represented. So there's, okay, so there's components that the people who are, are involved in the system and the technology, there's the folks that are building the, the, uh, the use cases and the, the business initiatives coming from the top down. But you're saying at the user level as well, you need folks that are using the, uh, the technology and providing feedback and metrics behind how it's being used. And that needs to be a diverse perspective as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we have a lot of cases where, and this is pretty common in the software development industry, you know, um, I'll call it strategy and design experts, just for a general term there. Um, you know, that's that's something that they specialize in is going in on the front end of, of a system being developed and really looking at, okay, what is the user? What are the user personas? Let's storyboard out kind of what the system is going to look like. Who is it going to benefit? Who's going to be using it? Because they also need to be thinking about adoption, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting when you think about something buzzy like AI. You know, AI is an exciting term. It's also one that I think at this point people sort of kind of roll their eyes at too, because one, it means a lot of things to a lot of people, and two, it's overhyped, right? Um, so I think that, you know, when we get into it and we start really thinking about why are we doing something, why are we spending the time, energy and effort to build out something and leverage AI, for example, into our, our business or our organization or into our lives, um, then we need to be thinking about that user experience and we need to represent that on the front end very succinctly in a way that so the system gets built uh, for the right purpose and for the right audience so that it will become something that people will actually really be excited and, and want to use. Um, at the end of the day, these AI systems are built to be useful and to augment human um, ingenuity. And so I think that that's something that um, I always try to think of as a North Star, you know, when we're, when we're helping our customers or uh, the organizations that we serve here at Microsoft. Um, you know, I kind of try to think about that with them and, and start getting that sort of positioned around their thinking uh, before we even get to the technology. And that's such a critical piece, Priya. Uh, I mean, I, I'm involved in these different AI use cases all the time at a customer level. And that piece is usually never part of the conversation because it's always about getting to getting these folks to see the value, understand the technology, help them understand it's not a science project. But it sounds like you've had a lot of different experience with getting beyond that. And you're you're really thinking a couple... Uh, a couple of lily pads down uh, the waterfront there. And and this kind of goes back to this AI strategy. And me and you spoke about this and I was really interested and I'm always interested in talking about AI, AI strategy. And at my level, we're talking to customers about a data strategy. And if they don't have a data strategy, they certainly can't have an AI strategy. But I really like where you're going here. You know, what is what is an AI strategy to you? when you're going and you're talking to a customer and you've been at so many of these different events and speaking events and and talking to practitioners in the field and you're asking them what an AI strategy is, or they ask you, what does that response look like? Yeah. So I think it it starts with, um, you know, kind of really not about what do I think it's about, okay, well, what is like, let me think about the customer who's asking, right? What are, 
first thing I try to think through is, okay, well, what are they in the business of doing? Like, for example, how are they serving their clients today? How, what are their workforce enablement strategies today? And, and a lot of times you can pretty much size that up. Um, if you know the company, you know kind of what they're in the business of doing um, and have some industry knowledge there, you can kind of garner that pretty quickly. Um, but really what it comes down to is once you understand the business, then you can get at sort of what are the primary use cases where they may have sort of a baseline today that they wish to improve or wish to, um, from a cost perspective, maybe um, optimize those operational uh, costs or, you know, sort of get closer to um, more precise efficiency with certain things. I mean, I think that an AI strategy um, really isn't a strategy without first thinking about the business problems and or just the organizational challenges you're looking to kind of approach. Um, I, I also want to think a little bit about, you know, with them sort of that there's two layers, right? I should say, I could step back for a second. There's sort of the the business to consumer angle of things that you have to also qualify and there's sort of the business to business angle. So you need to also understand within the business that they're in, um, what also are the different use cases and the personas around those, those use cases from a user perspective. Then, of course, right alongside that, and incredibly important, as you mentioned, is, is sort of the data situation there because um, what I like to say and my colleague uh, Michael and I say this all the time together um, it's it's really sort of data is the oxygen for AI right without data we don't really have um, you know the intelligence of the system there to to even work with and so um, that becomes incredibly critical um, and something we have to talk with our customers about right up front. And it's okay, right? Their data is, there's no perfect answer. Like, oh, my data has to be super, you know, in a certain place or in a certain state, but it's something that we need to bring into the equation up front um, because we won't get very far if we don't figure that out and get that organized and get it prepped for uh, sort of ingestion or incorporation into an AI system we're looking to work with them to develop. And and maybe maybe that's the, one of the problem or challenges that a lot of businesses face and they want to see a business's perspective on AI. What's your perspective on AI? What's your perspective on AI? Like what's AI to you? And, right. and it's hard to communicate and just what you, you mentioned, I and mean, there's so many different layers and I really enjoy that you, you have a focus point on the personas and like the design thinking aspect of that, which is really cool because that's a, a completely different area that, I mean, I would even like to start drilling down deeper into because it's very mature thinking. So you have these folks and a, a lot of like a, a lot of people like this, this gentleman, uh, Bernard Marr, he's kind of like an international like AI, like guru, he writes all these books and he, he uh, had this, uh, he's a Forbes contributor as well. And he said, Hey, an AI strategy is creating intelligent products and services. It's designing intelligent business processes. And just joining that with what you said, it sounds like you really have to understand that it's a journey. You have to understand the customer profile. You really have to have those conversations. Do you face a lot of kickback where you start talking to organizations and you're like, okay, hold on, take a breath. Let's yeah. learn a bit more about, <laughs> your, about your industry what kind of objections do you get and frustrations do you get when you're having those kind of conversations? Because you're on the education in evangelism front. So you're educating these people. Yeah. What does that conversation look like? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. We don't have all the answers, right? Our clients know their industry better than than anybody, right? And so I think one of the things too that that has served me well, and I, I think more of us in general and in, in sales and in sort of technology in general should really be thinking about is, you know, we don't have to be the ones that walk into the room and have all the answers. We need to be the ones that go in and listen carefully, ask really, you know, thoughtful questions, um, get you know, help the customer sort of get organized around the thinking. Sometimes we walk into scenarios where the customer kind of, they already have, they seem to sort of already have, they know, they have an idea of what they're running towards or away from um, that they know they want to do, but they need our help with just sort of hardening that and getting a strategy to your point, getting sort of this journey modeled out of how we would get from point A to point B um, to point Z or wherever they end up wanting to go. And another thing I would say about all that is, you know, what we do a lot, and I, I try to talk to customers about a lot is, you know, let's let's think big together on these things, but let's start small and let's be agile in our approach to tackling these things so we don't feel you're not feeling overwhelmed. And, you know, that's a great thing about, for example, how the cloud works in general. The cloud is incredibly elastic and resilient. And so that in itself, the tools, the building blocks that our clients are going to be using to build these systems out in themselves are very, very resilient and they're very um, elastic. And so why not also mirror that with the way we approach um, from a human perspective, the projects of building. Um, and the last thing I'll say is this is really no different than um, thinking through how we would manage through change, right? There's a ton of um, more of the sort of emotional sort of aspects of bringing AI into your organization that have to come along with sort of the, 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 um, the technology sort of thinking that you may have or sort of the building the system thinking you need to have. Equally, there needs to be this sort of thought process with C-level, with, with the executives of the company around if we're bringing AI into our company, whatever way, shape or form that looks, how does that impact our culture? How does that impact our organization? Are we ready for that? And if so, you know, that's another thing that we, we try to help uh, coach customers around. It's a little bit of sometimes a blind spot that they're not thinking about where we can we can help broaden that thinking and get that conversation going a lot of times amongst them, you know, in the room or, or amongst them and their peers to really think this stuff through. When you said change management, it like immediately underscored in my brain because that's that's tough. I mean, you know, the Deloitte's and PWC's of the world, uh, the Bain's, they all come in and they, you know, get millions of dollars in enablement contracts to try to help change management environment. And, you know, Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, he said that most of his books on his nightstand are about change management. So I can see that AI is just, that entire strategy is part of that plan. I see all these people that are building these ideas and talking about it and charging a lot of money for it. Yeah. And you see some teams and you come from a partner ecosystem of system integrators who are actually building the stuff. And it sounds like very mature collaboration environments of people and teams because you're, you're talking to all these different design engineers and folks that are kind of aligning to these projects. Well, what's the biggest challenge with picking the right partner and the right people and the talent it seems like that's kind of glossed over a lot. And now everybody, everybody, you know, because of the hype is saying, oh, we do, oh, we're really good at machine learning. We're really good at AI. But when you double click, they're not good. <laughs> so and exactly. it, 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 it kind of, that experience gets broken upon our backs and the customer's back when we bring in the wrong team 
from outside or even sometimes internally because people are just fascinated with the technology. Like, what are what's your experience behind how you qualify teams yeah. people for this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think the the north star and one of the best ways is when we can get sort of a subset of our customer, you know, uh, team coupled in with the Microsoft and our partner team, right? I mean, that that's a winning combination. And I think that you know, as we bring our our you know the saying, you know, two heads are better than one, and also the idea of teaching people how to fish. So people can get really excited about things like data science and machine learning and cognitive, you know, services and all these great things. Um, and what's really cool, even if they are, as you said, like not so great at it out of the gate, once you sort of peel the layer of the onion back, you can get good at it. I mean, these tools are getting better and better and better and easier and easier and easier to use. And so as that happens, I think the the there's a, the crosswalk is sort of there. It's painted, right, for them to be able to take those steps. Um, I think that the biggest thing is selecting, as you said, sort of the right experienced uh, team to to come in around whatever the use cases are that we're looking to, to work with and make sure that we're providing the customer with acceleration. You know, because one of the things that is, is really critical to this uh, from a business perspective, most times when people are looking at something like artificial intelligence and bringing that into uh, their business, they're looking for competitive advantage. They're looking for brand differentiation. They're looking for kind of upside in their business or, you know, reduction in, um, you know, sort of uh, redundancies and workflows and things like that to make them more efficient. These are all things that um, really require, um, you know, a, a plan that goes beyond just the, how is the system going to get built and who's going to build it and who's going to manage it? It has a lot to do too with how is the workflow going to change? And when it changes, how do we make sure we, the team is ready to, ex, to accept that change and, and, um, let's make sure this happens in the in the most frictionless way that it can. And I think a lot of times that's a piece of experience too in the team that needs to be sort of covered. And um, many of our our experienced AI developers, data scientists, people like myself, along with our partners, I mean, we bet that those skills you know pretty heavily to make sure that we're helping augment our customers' team with a a team around them that can help them accelerate their time to market. That's that's super critical. I think that that's really the the golden the golden um, the north star, I should say. Um, anytime we can get my favorite type of projects are those where we can you know kind of scope around a use case, and this happens a lot. We, this is very doable. Scope mm-hmm. around a really um, you know sort of defined use case. Um, get a really strong team rallied around our customer and their people. So we're sort of doing it together and we're co-developing this. And let's build this out in a in a few weeks sprint, let's get something minimum, like a minimum viable solution together in a matter of weeks. And, and let's figure it out. Like, let's see if it works, right? Let's ask some questions of the data. Let's apply some artificial intelligence to the system and see if we can help, you know, get this thing going. And then we'll fail fast. If it doesn't work, let's fail fast. We'll remediate and we'll try again. And that's, again, when you have an experienced team, I think that you can just apply that kind of agility and sort of bring the business that accelerated time to value that I think at the end of the day, most of our clients and organizations that we're working with are really looking for. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, Greg Vigil, who you probably know pretty well. He's, I think he's in your organization on a couple episodes ago. And I keep on stealing his quote that he got from his boss. And it was, uh, think big, start small and go fast. And you're, yeah. you're just underlining these throughout the conversation. 
which is which is great. And uh, so part of that, you're going fast and you're failing fast, you're failing forward, and things are just moving all the time. You're interchanging team members. Maybe you discover this person's not very good in Python, but they're really good data engineering, or you're just kind of figuring out what that looks like at the customer level, Microsoft, and then the partner level too. And then you mentioned teaching people how to fish, which this is so important. And when we start talking about, hey, empowering the customer, that's when customers' eyes start lighting up because we want to let them know that, hey, your job isn't to manage data centers or build SaaS applications, but it's to focus on your proprietary functions of your business. And one of those proprietary functions and assets is your data and how you use that is really important. So you're working with so many people, Priya, like all over the country and all these different facets. Is there a, a common denominator for people who are very, very good on these different teams? Is it, is it a mindset? I mean, of course, well, obviously there's like a growth mindset piece. Is there an equation of the kind of person that companies should be looking at when they're selecting people to join their team and work on these initiatives? Because we get that question all the time. Microsoft, send us a couple of resume templates, help us figure out how to choose some of these people on these teams. Like what's your view about what makes the most sense from what you're seeing? Yeah, I think it's not one person, right? I mean, I think that's the first thing. It kind of goes back to what you what we talked about a few at the beginning. It's it's really a team, a diverse team, right? So making sure that we're sort of in taking inventory, um, and it could be at an organizational level, you know, with a customer if they plan on sort of adopting uh, advanced systems like AI infused systems into their business as a new standard. Then that becomes again, we want to help them. Um, assemble a more permanent team so they can be sort of um, brought to a place where they can sort of self-serve and they can really start getting good at building these types of solutions and approaching these types of things themselves. Um, it's interesting. We see a lot of um, of people in roles like VPs of innovation and, and things like that. I've, I'm sort of really intrigued by that. And I'm, I'm starting as I meet these folks sort of getting to know them. And one of the things I've seen, and again, those that are listening, I hope that um, as they listen, um, if you're in this band of folks out there, contact us. I want to talk to you. I want to learn about your backgrounds because what I find so far in those that I've met organically, um, frankly, they're mostly men and they're mostly IT background folks. And I just don't know. I feel like that's great and, and that's awesome. I'm sure they're super qualified, but these VPs of innovation and these, these people that are hired in at the C level to come in and sort of manage innovation and strategy at that level, I just feel like that in itself needs more of a diverse background. And, and I'm curious, uh, I know that's kind of a controversial statement because I'll probably, we'll probably get lots of pings on that, Derek, when we publish this, but um, you know, I want to hear from these folks. I want to hear from hiring managers. What, what um, is driving you to decide that you now need to make a move and actually hire in a team of people to actually just center around innovation? That's another trend we're seeing and from a hiring perspective. And, and if that's, that's the question we need to be asking as we're helping. And then we say, okay, based on those answers, you know, let's, let's, as you said, bring in the right sort of diverse team around that, not just techie people, but let's bring creative people. Let's bring people that, I mean, I've been on teams where we've got illustration, you know, like artists, right? People that are just amazing with creative thinking and um, really thinking outside the box, excellent facilitators of 
you know, just driving progress. And I think that that in itself is a key factor in, um, in companies really taking things to the next level with technology and innovation, um, and also being willing to, as you said, being in a growth mindset, being willing to look back and say, okay, we tried something. What do we need to learn from that? Where do we need to make changes? And not just, you know, setting things in motion, checking off boxes and delivering against projects um, now that we have the tools. Those are all things I think that are super interesting. And I'm sorry I was a little long there with that answer, but kind of inspired a a few different tentacles of thought as as I was talking it through. No, you you inspired a a completely thought burst in my head because I was, I was, you're, you're saying some things that I talk about all the time with my, with my colleagues, just intrinsically with how we want to help businesses transform. And that's how, you know, and, and I think you're probably incentivized that way too. We're incentivized in how are we transforming these organizations? How are we making them data-driven AI first organizations? Because like to your point, it's going to, it's going to help them with their brand and how change the way that they are a cost center and move them into a, a profit center environment. And it starts with these people. And I can't tell you how many times the conversation really is when we're talking internally about a customer, we're talking about their leadership and we're saying, okay, mm-hmm. is X person, is he or she, are they going to change? Do they, are they willing to adopt something different? And a lot of times it's like, nope, they're transactional. They don't understand the technology. They don't care. uh, And we don't understand where their alliances are in terms of how they want to move forward in the organization. And so many times, unfortunately, that sounds kind of negative, but so many times we have to just descend away from a customer and say, you know what, they're just not ready because they don't have the proper people in place or a VP of innovation or a, a chief digital officer will get on the call and they're just like shutting us down on just inviting them to think differently and in, inviting them to, to be an incubation center in a call or in an idea session. It's so dangerous. You know, how, how are you a, v, a VP of innovation or digital transformation and you're just not thinking about bringing everybody together and having some conversation, regardless of the technology you're building upon, but let's really start thinking about these different things. And that's so dangerous. Um, yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a sort of soft skills moment, right? Where it's a, it's a cultural moment for the company. And, and it's, um, it's also one, you know, we, we want to inspire all of that sort of brand, the, the brand powering, uh, the empowering of your brand opportunity, all that, you know, cost savings or cost, uh, sorry, or profit growth, uh, you know, kind of benefits that AI can bring to business. But I think another thing that um, we also, Microsoft specifically has taken a pretty strong stance in is, is also making sure that we take the time to educate um, our customers around the importance of kind of governance and, and ethics around AI and, and sort of the AI for good versus AI for not so good. Um, because people within organizations in functional, different functional roles can get, as you said, super excited about the technology and just start running with it. And that's great. But again, just, you know, making sure that there's some sort of wrapper around sort of internally a governance strategy to support, um, you know, making sure you protect that brand and you protect that um, sort of uh, reputation and, and, and 
make it better versus, gosh, there'd be a mistake and actually design a system that actually doesn't actually serve constituents in the way that you intended to, even if it was unintentional. So I think it's incredibly important whether whether C-level leaders or not are ready for the change. They can they're always they can always say no, right? I'm not ready. But what I would encourage people to do is is have the conversation and start opening the conversation within your company and invite us to come and have it with you. There are many of us here at Microsoft that can come in and just, you know, literally, I say this all the time, you know, we take the technology off the table and we talk about this stuff. And this is where we need to start. And without that kind of executive sponsorship and that kind of understanding. Um, and we also need to know that because we need to understand the pace in which our customer is in, interested in working towards the change. Because many times they want to change, but there's so many moving parts and so many personalities and so many things about the company that we need to learn about. Because what we don't want to do is come in and be disruptive. We don't want to come in and just plow in and say, hey, you, you should do this. Like other people in your industry are doing this. You should be doing it too, or you're not going to be competitive. Well, great. But like there are nuances in every company that we need to better understand. And I think that as we help coach customers around that thinking, hopefully maybe some of that will sort of fuse over into their, their line of thinking and they'll continue those conversations when we're not there. I mean, that's my hope. And I, I hope they're already having those conversations. And if they are, that they invite us. I think it's probably not as many conversations as we would like them to start having. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing kind of a, a common theme here where we're talking about this. So these social aspects and we talked about the different, how to build these different systems and all these different people involved. And again, at the heart of all this, it, we haven't talked at all about technology. I don't even think we mentioned cloud one time. Maybe we mentioned it one time, yeah, but one time. yeah, but it seems like people are across this broad swath of how we should be engaging. And I think a lot of folks are scared about like eight, like ageism is an issue. And I talked to some of my colleagues all the time and I said, you know, what's your biggest fear? And they're like, well, it's in some of these folks are 45, 50, 55. It isn't old to me, but a lot of them think that that's getting old and they're like, Oh man, I'm in tech and I'm 50 and I'm thinking to myself, Whoa, I like, I hope I'm not going to be thinking that in a few years. Uh, so there's like this ageism component. And then there's going back to this New York University research paper. There's a person that said that they went to a, an AI event where there was, uh, I think there was like 8,500 attendees and there was, this person was the only black person there. So you have people are bubbling things up to the top of what's important. And it seems like it's, it's all about people and diverse teams and, and making sure that you're pulling from pools of people that are thinking differently. What is hard for you? Like, what are you, what are you struggling with? Because you're like right in the dead center of all this. You have all these great ideas. You're talking to all these people, but it would be interesting to hear about a little personally about what is on, on your mind for how you can reinvent and adopt so that people can start thinking about how, how progressive they should be and, and whether or not their fears are really real. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, so a few things like what's hard for me, um, you know, I think that, so a couple things. I mean, I think that I, I always, it's mind bending to think about, you know, the, the different aspects of, for something like artificial intelligence. I have, I have two small boys, um, grade school age boys. I'm a single mom. 
Um, I work full time. I travel about 60% of my time. Um, thank goodness. Uh, my rock star. <laughs> my, my, my ex-husband, you know, they have an amazing father who is a co-parent with me on this journey. And he's a wonderful, wonderful partner um, on this journey. But nonetheless, you know, that's hard, right? In itself, mm-hmm. that whole mm-hmm. dynamic. And um, I think that, that that's another thing too, like just thinking about people and what you were just talking about, like, that man that showed up at that conference and felt like he was the only minority there. Um, you know, I mean, that that's hard. That's hard because you're, especially at, you know, something like an AI conference where you're thinking about, you know, wow, this progressive, you know, kind of intelligent systems that are built by humans that have to be sort of um, all encompassing of, of diversity and inclusion and really thinking, you know, so we, we build these things carefully. Um, that can be really kind of threatening and scary to be there and, and be feeling that isolated um, in that case. So I think that what I guess I would say is how do we solve for that, right? Like how do we get more people engaged? And I also think that it's not just um, because I want to go back to a comment you made about like people who are, you know, 45, 55 and goodness, you know, that's, I'm, I'm in that category soon. Right. And like, I mean, gosh, I feel old. No, I mean, I think that we always have to be reinventing. We have to always be thinking about the job that we have today, no matter what industry you're in, the job and the way you conduct that work today, no matter what you do is going to be different tomorrow. It's going to be different in three years. Um, I'll give you an example, even just within schools, Um, the school system that my two children are in. uh, We're on a journey right now um, on a committee where we've been really looking at the future and that what that portrait looks like of a future graduate in our school system from uh, kindergarten all the way through to 12th grade as we prepare them for traditionally college, right? But think about it. Perhaps by that time in you know 2035 or you know 2030, these kids like are they all going to have to go to college to have amazing careers? Probably not. So how can we be thinking about our school system and the way that we approach um, you know kind of student-centered learning and in a way that's going to benefit students and where where things are going versus where things are today? I think that in itself as an analogy is sort of of course hard, but something we all have to sort of wrap our brains around. Even folks that don't have children in the school system got engaged in in this committee and and wanted to have a voice at the table here because it's the future. um, This is a future generation and generations to come. So things like learning environments, um, how we teach children. We had the topic of conversation in their last meeting about when students look at their teacher, you kind of described this earlier, when they look at their teacher, can they relate? You know, do we have enough in this case, do we have enough men that are teaching. So young boys can look and say, wow, you know, like this yeah. guy's awesome, you know, and do we have enough sort of diverse uh, backgrounds here in our schools to inspire children and, and encourage them to, and, and help them feel, you know, kind of um, embraced by the idea of learning and growing into whatever it is they want to do and anything is possible. And I think that that is a great lesson that we can all teach to help with those, as you said, really hard things. Definitely touched some heart notes for me. You sound like just a, such an incredible mom, Priya, by the way. Oh, thank you. I can feel that coming off just being a father myself and I have two, two young ones. And I have this conversation with my wife all the time. And I mean, we could probably go on a, a three-hour tangent on this conversation alone over some coffee because yeah. it's really interesting. But we're always thinking, hey, we're like, we're, we have a college savings account for them. 
And yeah. I'm, I'm like, are they going to, are, are they going to go to college? Like, is that even a thing? I, I can't imagine. I mean, just with 7% year over year cost increases for education, I'm like, they may not even go to university. That may not even be a thing. So th- that's already kind of coming into my mind. And then thinking about what it's it, like, and for me, I, mean, I don't know if this is because of my generation or what, but it'd be great if my daughter became an astronaut, you know, because that's cool hey, for totally. me. You know what I mean? It's cool for me. It makes me like happy, but you really have to start thinking about, well, what is going to make them the most happy? And it's not me putting a Stanford license plate backer on the back of my car. It's about them really loving what they do. And I'm sure that has to change all the way down to the committee level where that you're engaging on and the teacher level. And that sounds really hard, but it's, it's amazing that you're involved there. And I can't wait to hear more about what you're doing there because I, I, as a parent, I think people who are listening that are parents, um, especially with some of these scandals that are going on with folks trying to get their kids into like, that doesn't even matter anymore. It's certainly not going to matter in 15 years where things are going, you know? Yeah. And and it's something we could certainly talk more about. I mean, we can, we can do a separate segment if the users want to hear more or whatever on, you know, just the idea of, of the future of education and kind of where we think it's headed. Because one of the things we learned is we were, we were going through this exercise over the last year of really trying to define sort of these new core priorities for our school um, is, you know, we can do all this great work and get kids to a great place before that traditional sort of college age, wherever they end up going next. But if, if we also can't inspire change across the university ecosystem, then we're kind of at another crossroad of, of semi blocker and in a way we have to sort of be inspired to, to understand those problems and challenges so that we don't just get them through to a progressive place, you know, when they're 18 and, you know, graduate from high school. And then, Ooh, now I'm back to the traditional old school way, no pun intended of university that really isn't going to, you know, going to be um, aligned with where things are headed. I mean, I think there are many universities that are, you know, very uh, progressive in their approach and their thinking. Um, But remember too, that it's not just about careers and technology a lot of the, a lot of, I guess I'm more exposed to some of those programs that are in the tech space and certainly living in Boston, you know, I'm seeing a lot of stuff, you know, coming right out of MIT and Harvard and, and, and so forth here. But um, I really hope to see for, for the sake of all of our, our future generations, our children and their children, um, this real um, careful yet um, broadened approach to thinking about um, education because it's really going to be game changing. There are stories in the news even today of of you know like just different learning platforms for students and um, how they're starting to sort of pilot these in different parts of the country and you know and some of the feedback's not really that positive. And so I think again another thing is when we try these new things we have to try them and and sort of assess as I said before assess it and evaluate and if it doesn't work like stop like don't keep doing it. You know we don't have to force it don't have to force and use technology for the sake of technology use and, and, and create change because it's going to inspire and, and increase um, goodness in the world. Right. Versus it being just something to do because it's there. That's so special that you mentioned that because I, like when you said careful, you have to be so careful and we certainly need to, to grab another session just to talk about this. Cause I didn't even know that you were passionate in these areas. This is really cool. I mean, I'm yeah. selfishly, 
I'm selfishly wanting to talk more about this stuff with you. And, you know, I hear it all the time. I mean, it's really great that we're providing these organizations. I just saw this thing about how we're helping black, young black girls code. And I thought, that is so amazing, you know, and, and we're helping, you know, we're, we're injecting like Microsoft surfaces and you see kids coming home with iPads and have all these different programs. But in my head, and I, I didn't have very much freedom growing up uh, in, in my childhood. And so I'm constantly wondering how much freedom some of these kids are getting. Like, do they want to code? That was the first thing that kind of entered my mind. Like, okay, this is great, but do these girls want to code? Is that something they wake up every day in the morning and say, I would love to code? Or is society saying, well, to be anybody, to be anything, you have to learn to code? And is that just an augmentation yeah. of what we've been doing for the, the, the essence of humanity where we're just pushing things on people just to, because we think that's making the people that are involved in these engagements feel really good? Maybe that's not what's yeah. the most important. I really, I really hope the answer to that is that they do. And I really hope that, Me you too. know, every, every parent out there in the world, no matter, no matter who you are and what, um, where you are, I really hope that, you know, we're parenting our children in a way to inspire them to, as you said, sort of do whatever it is they really want to do that makes them happy, that they're passionate about. And I think that there's there is a barrier for for girls um, with respect to technology in general. Still, I think that there's still sort of again this sort of mirror effect of I look at the I look at it and I see a bunch of boys, I see a bunch of men, and um, probably they see as I did when I was you know going through it um, when I was younger. They're really good also at what they do, and so that can be it builds upon itself, and it can feel and become very intimidating, right? So then, mm-hmm. then naturally might start just turning our eyes to other things where we see more women and we see more young, young women professionals succeeding. And then, then it becomes like, Oh, well maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. So I do, I I think there's, we could probably go on a whole nother segment um, on this and would be happy to do more there, but I'm super passionate about this. I think that um, I also want to say just as a mother of two boys that, you know, I, I have, uh, and my ex-husband and I share this, you know, we um, are very specific about screens and, you know, kind of thinking through how much time and freedom kids um, have on screens. My children are um, seven and almost nine. And, you know, they don't get their iPads during the week. They don't get to be on their screens during the week. We, we both work full time. By the time we get home with our kids, like we only have a couple, three hours before it's time to go to bed. And we want that time to be, you know, in person, mm-hmm. talking, playing games, doing stuff together, having dinner. So um, I think that that's something I would love to inspire uh, folks as well, both both adults and children to mm-hmm. you know, take the time to put the devices aside and connect with humanity, because the more we can infuse that into our lives and keep that kind of uh, part of our organic who we are and how we engage in life, I think actually it'll make for for better system development as we move on into digital world and, and engaging back in the digital world, if we lose total touch with that, that human factor, it, it will affect, I think, uh, personalities, it'll affect, uh, we have studies, right, that show it, it, it inspires uh, is- feelings of isolation and loneliness and things that all become socially and emotionally extremely, uh, you know, daunting and challenging for, for humanity. 
Thank you for sharing that, Priya. That's yeah. that's really cool that you're so open and and sharing some of your your parental practices and what you're doing at home. I I think we should we should be sharing that more often, right? Like it's only to the benefit of our children, and we just we just don't do that. Um, so I know um, we only have a, a handful of minutes. Wanted to see if we could learn a little bit more about. Are there any books like the book that you've given the most or podcasts that you shared the most? Just want to get in your head a little bit about what you're reading, what you're listening to, if anything special. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm reading um, right now. Actually, I, I just came off a of vacation, so I'm actually just finishing a fiction book right now. Um, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, podcast listening. I, I actually, to be honest with you, I listen to a lot of things outside of the AI spectrum. Um, I listen to um, Super Soul Conversations. It's an Oprah thing. I love it. I, again, I for me, I'm really drawn to the sort of humanity, the humanity yeah. things. Um, certainly, do I do I search and, and listen to podcasts on different topics within the AI realm all the time? Um, but I, I do it more um, kind of just searching on a topic. Like I'll listen to a TED Talk. I had one I shared out recently that was amazing. That I'd love. That was to a really great one. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of thing. Um, I'm also um, what I am also trying to do right now is. Um, write. I'm also trying to write some things and writing a book and putting some things together there. Um, and so I've been like kind of listening and learning about, you know, how to write and how to, you know, be uh, a full-time single working mother with a lot of travel and still find time to write. <laughs> so if any listeners are out there and can counter, you know, give me some advice on writing a book, that would be amazing. That's an official call out. I need your help. Um, and in exchange, I will help you in any way, shape or form with anything you need on the spectrum of AI um, and infusing AI into your to your organization and your business. But that's that's it. I mean, and I also read I try to stay up on uh, trends in industries. Yep. I think that that as much as anything is super important to being a specialist in the artificial intelligence realm is so much of, of the things we're helping customers bring to life with AI um, center back to sort of core industry information and trends. So whether it's reading up on something related to the manufacturing or health and life sciences industry, or recently I was studying um, the insurance industry before um, speaking with a customer or studying, um, learning more on the fly on engineering. Um, we're seeing a lot of AI and so many different industries popping up. And, and I think that that's also a big part of how I spend my time when I read is to make sure I'm, I'm really sharp in that, those areas. The super soul. I, she, she had a collection of podcasts on Eckhart Tolle. Yes. She didn't personally come up to my door and introduce me to Eckhart Tolle, but my wife introduced me to Eckhart Tolle via Oprah and how it was on her book club. And it's just an amazing, an amazing read. I have to ask you what that fiction book was, because that's super important for us. Oh, it's, um, what is it called? It's called woman in the window or something like that. It's, it's, um, I literally picked it up at a bookstore on the way to my, um, my vacation last week with my kids. And I will say, you know, I go on vacation by myself with my two kids. I'm going to tell you, I didn't get a whole lot of reading done. Watching my two boys and keeping track of them running around and jumping into pools and swimming in the ocean. It was a lovely, lovely, uh, R&R trip, but um, I think it's called Women, Woman in the Window, and um, that, that if I get the title not perfectly right, but it's... I'll it's put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I will tell you, too, that um, Satya Nadella's book was quite inspirational. Um, the Hit Refresh book was incredibly inspirational. I myself um, am also... I was born in India, and I was adopted uh, when I was seven months old. 
Um, and prior to being adopted in that time, uh, I was orphaned at two days old and left at the gates of one of Mother Teresa's orphanages in, in Northwest India. And so I lived in India for that seven months of my life before being adopted here in the U.S. And so I, I am very inspired by uh, my culture. Um, I don't uh, have a lot of exposure to it, having left uh, India when I was so young. But um, I will tell you, like, uh, I am so inspired by Satya and his leadership. And when he wrote that book and I read it, I was just like just in awe of his life story and uh, what he shared in his book, which, you know, obviously also contributes to inspiring me to write my own book. And so kind of comes full circle. So that's another really great read and, and one that I think many folks, regardless of whether you're in the tech industry or not, it's a wonderful read. Thanks for sharing that, Priya. It, it's I, after this call, I'm in awe of you after listening <laughs> to your story. And it, you know, we need, we, gosh, we need so many more people like you, um, oh, just, you, you know, in our daily lives, nice. friendships, colleagues, business, obviously AI, you know, all these different things. Yeah. How do folks reach out to you? What's the best way to connect with you, socialize with you? Yeah, I mean, I'm on, I'm out there. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Insta. I'm learning how to use a lot of these little apps. Like I still use a lesson in Snapchat. I'm not using that so well. It's so funny. There's so much out there. But honestly, uh, LinkedIn is a great vehicle. Um, It's a great platform for reaching out. Um, I do check my messages there. and, and certainly uh, people can email me here at Microsoft too. I mean, that's another great way to connect with me if, if they're interested in digging in or learning more, um, having a workshop, having a speaker, having me come in and speak with their team or with their customers or whatever it might be. And I think that part of it is just to close is the more we get out there and do this, and Derek, I thank you so much um, for the opportunity and, and you're included in, in what I'm about to say, the more we we share kind of our our ability to um, help facilitate this journey, right? That we know our customers and just people are on um, as they continue to be curious and inspired by AI. Um, The more we just talk about it and the more we sort of, again, teach people how to think about it, then they'll start talking about it. And then it will start to sort of proliferate and grow. And that skill in itself will, will start to scale out. And I think that that's, it's just something that's going to take some time and, the more of us we can get out there um, speaking and, and those that we can, the channels like this that we can use to have, give people the vehicle to listen and learn, um, that's always a wonderful start. So I really appreciate the opportunity and I would be happy to come back and talk more and certainly encourage folks to, to send us notes and let us know what they're interested in so we can come back with some relevant topics and provide them with some good content. I completely agree. I wish p- people could see how much I'm nodding. Um, I really appreciate you coming on, Priya. I'll put all these different assets into the show notes so people can can look at them at their leisure. And I'll, I'll share the episode out and, of course, tag you on LinkedIn and all that. Um, but thank you awesome. for coming on. Looking forward to the next one, 100%. Thank you. Have a wonderful rest of the day, everyone. Take care. You too. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought forum where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.